Hey, good morning, glad that you are here today. Thanks for joining us, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Blue Water. Really quick before we jump into the sermon this morning, just wanna extend uh, a need to you that we have. Um, here at this campus, we have been uh, short on uh, volunteers for our children's ministry, and because of that, <clears throat> We have had to close certain rooms, certain days. So if you, uh, I, I just hold that uh, need out to you. If you would be interested or willing in being able to help with our children's ministry, uh, it is a significant barrier for families sometimes when uh, their, their children are not able to be put into, into a room. So, so if you would be able to help us with that, what you can do is you can pull out your phone right now. I don't say this in church very often. Pull, pull out your phone right now and send an email to office at bluewaterbaptist.com. We would really appreciate your help on that. If you are a parent, you have, uh, you have understood how crazy it is during those nine months between uh, the time when you realize you're having a baby until the time when you actually have that baby. Now, um, some of you uh, ladies, when you guys are pregnant, uh, you just glow and you just, you, you're so beautiful and you look so great and you just love being pregnant so much. Um, that was not the case in my house. Uh, Mrs. Cressman did not like being pregnant at all. As a matter of fact, what I heard mostly was get this kid out of me. That's what I heard most of the time. Uh, but that, that nine months of waiting and longing and yearning, and by the way, at my house, all of my kids went past their due date, so it was an extra uh, special time at that end there. Uh, difficult on everybody. But, but at the end of this waiting, at the end of this, like, like, like just waiting and, and, and waiting, and when is this child going to come? And then all of a sudden, there's this brand new human. And all of a sudden, your family has just grown. It's really a quite miraculous and amazing thing. Last week, if you were here with us, you remember that we talked about that longing, that yearning, that waiting that the people of God had for the Messiah to come. Generation after generation wondering, is God a promise-keeping God? Is that the type of God he is? And they wondered and they waited and they longed and they yearned. Now, in our recent memory in our culture, there have been uh, babies that have been much anticipated. And I'm going back up a little bit now, but I can think of Kim and Kanye's firstborn or Beyonce, Beyonce and Jay-Z's firstborn. But I think in, in my recent memory, um, the, the most anticipated baby that was born, I think, was little Prince George. You know what I'm talking about? I think he's like eight or nine now, but, but Prince George, you remember um, Prince um, William and Princess Kate were anticipating their firstborn, and it was big news all around the world, and they had, I, I think they had cleared out a whole wing of a hospital so, so that this one, this one family could have the whole wing. They had 20 med medical professionals all on standby, all because this one baby was being born. And, and why? Well, because that baby was significant. Why was he significant? Because of the family that he belonged to. Indeed, unless something tragic happens, this little boy will will one day be the king of England, and I guess of Canada too. He was significant and anticipated because of the family that he was born into. Well, we're back in our Advent series today, and 
Sometimes, if we're honest, we get caught up in the cuteness of the baby, right? Sometimes we get caught up in, in uh, the sweetness and the anticipation of that baby who was to arrive, and yet, uh, sometimes we can be like Ricky Bobby and Tal- Talladega Nights, and we stop short of remembering that actually this baby grew up, and it's his entire life that's significant, not just his birth. We've entitled this series Promise Keeper because we're looking at how Advent and how the birth of Jesus uh, demonstrates the promise-keeping nature of God. And we're trying to demonstrate how the incarnation of Jesus proves God to be a promise-keeping God and that we, you and me, can trust that he will keep his promises to you too. Last week we looked at the the promised significance and heritage of of the Messiah. And today we are going to look at the promises that were made surrounding his birth. What would his birth look like? What could people expect? What type of child would they be expecting? What would he be like? How would this forever king make his grand entrance into the world? So here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to lay out the roadmap for where we're going today. We're going to read the Christmas story from the book of Luke. If you have your Bible, we'd love for you to open it up to Luke chapter 2. And then we're just going to bounce back and forth to the Old Testament and see how the Old Testament predicted and, and prophesied that Jesus, well, and promised that Jesus would come in a certain way. And uh, we will see that this long-anticipated baby demonstrates the promise-keeping nature of God. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to start in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Okay, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. This is what the word of the Lord says. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor in Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in the manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. I'll pause right there for a minute. It's interesting because skeptics always uh, approach uh, uh, Bible prophecy in this way. They always say, well, well, like this is easy. It's easy to explain how this happened because, because uh, someone just looked at the prophecy in the Old Testament and then they acted in such a way as to bring that about. And indeed, that does happen sometimes. Think with me, for example, about the triumphal entry when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a colt. And as he was doing that, he did that He made those choices to do that in order to fulfill prophecy. But you want to know what's really difficult? It's really difficult to plan where, when, and the manner in which you would be born. I just need a quick show of hands. How many of you had any input into your birth at all? Seeing no hands, that's a very difficult thing to do, right? And yet, here we have these promises that are being fulfilled in Christ, In in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we'll throw it up for you on the screen. This is what the prophet Micah said. He said, But to you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. 
he is prophesying, Micah is letting us know that Bethlehem is exactly where the Messiah would come. And, and what we have to know about Bethlehem, Bethlehem is probably one of, the, one of the, the names that most people, I think, in our culture would be able to say about the Holy Land, a, 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 a town in the Holy Land. It's a small town outside of Jerusalem, but here's the thing you need to know. Bethlehem was a little, know-nothing, uh, just tiny place. In fact, being born in Bethlehem, I was going to make a crack about being born in Bethlehem would be like being born in Warwick today. Here's the problem. Warwick's too big. Here's what I came up with. Being born in Bethlehem is like being born in Lucasville. Do you know where Lucasville is? Let's throw this map. Uh, you can see in your, your left, the bottom left-hand corner for you, that's where we are sitting right now. Top Right-hand corner for you is where Lucasville is. It is where, um, it's like four kilometers that way, okay? It's where Plank Road and Modeland and uh, Churchill and uh, Kimball all come together. I grew up like a kilometer and a half from Lucasville. I didn't even know it was called Lucasville. A couple of years ago, they put up a sign saying you're entering Lucasville. Like, what? When did this become Lucasville? You can look at almost any map and almost no maps have Lucasville on there, which is exactly why that is like being born in Bethlehem. Because you can look at a map and Warwick's on there, Lucasville won't be. There are multiple places in the Old Testament where um, the, the different towns and cities in, 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 Judea, in Judah are listed. You know what's not there? Bethlehem. It was too little to be listed. That's why, can you throw up the Micah passage again? That's why Micah says, uh, you're too little to be among the clans of Judah. It was so small, it wasn't even listed. That's what he's referring to. The only reason anyone ever knows anything about Bethlehem is because one very significant person that was born there, King David. And because King David was born there, Mike, and he lived long, like hundreds of years before the prophet Micah, because of that, Micah says, hey, from you, O Bethlehem, is coming, and synopsizing, the Messiah, whose coming forth is as of old from ancient days. By the way, the word Bethlehem, this is just free trivia. You know what the word Bethlehem means? It means house of bread. Beit means house, and lachem, I think I'm pronouncing that right, means bread. And I think it is so interesting that the one, the ultimate one, who was born in the house of bread would go on to call himself the bread of life. Luke chapter 2, let's pick up reading where we left off, verse 8. It says, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born in this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to, among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to another, hey, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told them concerning, uh, they, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So what do we see? Well, what we see is that Jesus was born in exactly the right place. But was he born in the right way? This is the point in the morning where we start to talk around things. And I know there are some children here, so we start to be a little vague with some of the things that we're going to say. But it is indeed true that Jesus was born and his mom was a virgin. Now, when Val and I uh, first got engaged, uh, Val had a friend who um, uh, got pregnant before she got married, and she said she was a virgin too. But you want to know what? Nobody really believed her. And actually, it's the, that's the exact same stigma that Jesus carried for his entire life. In fact, you can see it in, uh, there's this really interesting section of scripture in uh, John chapter, I lost it, is it John chapter eight? I think it's John chapter eight, I can't see it in my notes here, but, but there's this, this section where Jesus is going back and forth with the religious leaders, and they keep coming back to one thing. They keep saying to him, where's your father? And what they're going at, what they're getting at is his um, is the question surrounding his birth. And at one point they say to him, um, uh, we know who our father is. And uh, there's this interesting concept of Jesus meek and mild as if Jesus never said anything cutting at all. And Jesus, you know what he said back to them? He, he, basically he flamethrowered them. He said, you're right. You are children of your father, the devil. You are just like them, just like him. <laughs> The, the stigma surrounding that followed Jesus for his entire life. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, we'll throw it up on the screen for you. It says, uh, Isaiah said, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel means God with us. And so what we see in this prophecy is that about 700 years before Jesus was born, God promised that he would be born of a virgin. Now, there's a lot that could be said about this, and we don't have time to say very much about it right now. But the question is, is God a promise-keeping God? And, and the answer is a firm yes. And in fact, it's interesting because if you look at skeptics about the Bible, almost always the place they start is with the virgin birth. How can you possibly believe that this guy that you say you worship was born of a virgin? Of course that didn't happen. And in a materialistic world, we can, if, if, if we think everything is materialistic and everything has a natural cause, then we would agree. Just like Val's friend who said that she got pregnant as a virgin as well. And yet, from first to last, Christianity is a supernatural religion. 
And to believe any aspect of Christianity is to believe the supernatural. And if you believe that God created the world in six days, everything that is, and if you believe that there was this big fish that swallowed this dude and then puked him up three days later, and if you believe that, that there was a, a flood that covered the whole earth and, and um, one family got together with, with two of every creature in a big boat, if you believe all these things, is it really that much of a stretch to believe that God could do something like this as well. Especially in light of the fact that this is how he brought about the fulfillment of his promise. And the, the virgin birth takes all these shots from all these skeptics and it might cause us to think like, wait a second, since this is taking all the shots, is it worthwhile for us to hold on to this? Wouldn't it be better if we just said, yeah, like, Jesus had some dad named Steve. That doesn't surprise us at all. And yet the virgin birth is so important for God's plan, for the outworking of God's plan. You see, Jesus, the the Messiah, had to be a human so that he could identify with humanity, so that he could live the life that we should have lived. And he had to be God so that, well, because only God could satisfy the wrath and fulfill the requirements of a holy God. And the virgin birth was the vehicle by which that happened in one person, fully human and fully divine. And if we give up the virgin birth, we give up way more than we think we're giving up. And so we see in this text in Luke chapter two that all the promises of God started to come to pass. And there's two reactions from the characters in the story. Did you notice the two reactions? The first, well, the second reaction actually is the reaction of Mary. What did Mary do? Look, go ahead and look at your text again. It says that Mary treasured up all these things in her, what does it say? In her heart. That means she didn't go around telling everybody. She, she, just, like, she just remembered these things and, and thought through these things. As a matter of fact, this is a hint that the way that Luke got this information was via Mary because she treasured up all these things in her heart. And yet, there is another group of people that are also in the text, the shepherds. And what do the shepherds do? Do they have the same reaction as Mary does? Do, do they uh, treasure up everything in their heart? No. What do they do? They go and they tell everyone what they've seen. They declare to everyone the glories and the goodness of God as they have seen it. And you know, this is one of the things that we as followers of Jesus Christ are called to do as well and it's one of the things that, that uh, we, I think, do the least good <laughs> out of all the things that, that we're supposed to, to live into as Christians. Uh, in fact, I've had a number of conversations over the past week or, or week and a half actually talking to numerous people about the fact that yeah we just don't do a great job at being able to actually open our mouths and speak for Jesus and sometimes we pray for opportunities to share Jesus with those that we know and love and, and sometimes God brings about that opportunity and we don't even know like we don't even have the words but you know who actually is really good at that our students are actually really good at that and I heard a story this week, and I wanted you to hear just a short snippet of it as well. Take a look at this. Hi, my name is Grace, and I thought I would share a little story with you guys. So this past week at Imprint, we started talking about evangelism. 
and it was all about how, as Christians, we need to be actively sharing our faith. And I really got convicted of that. I felt like I was just waiting for God to put opportunities into my lap. Um, but I really just felt like the urge to need to my comfortability um, and my peace or whatever to um, just to take the few seconds or a few minutes or whatever in my, my time in my day to share some news that can lead to their eternal salvation. There were so many cool stories that came out of uh, the Amazon, the amazing gift of uh, push that we put on the last couple weeks, so many stories of people that's, that, that in tears said thank you so much for giving the opportunity for me to, to have a bridge that I can share the gospel with my neighbors, with those that, that I love. And, and listen, I just wanna hold out to you, I just wanna challenge you with this, that this is a real thing. Don't be ashamed, don't be too apathetic, as Grace said, don't be too lazy to take the time to make the opportunities to share the love of Jesus, the holiness of God with those around us. Have you ever seen um, that show, uh, Undercover Boss? Have you ever seen that show? If not, it's a show where they take the CEO of, of a big company and they have this person, uh, they usually disguise them and then have them um, start working at one of their you know chains or in a bottom level position and they work for one of the you know uh, just as a, a starter worker starting worker and they experience all kinds of things sometimes they experience really great uh, um, managers and co-workers at the at lower levels and sometimes they bump into really really bad ones and of course it's tv show so i'm not entirely sure how much of it is not manufactured but uh, the best part of the show is always the reveal when these people that were working beside this guy or this lady are told, actually, this is the CEO, this is the one that's over top of the entire company. This person has the ability to, to uh, give you, to advance your career beyond what you could possibly think. This person has the power to let you go from your job right now. And it's always surprising. It's always interesting to see their surprises, the, the, the fa their face as they realize, whoa. And you can immediately see them rolling back in their head. Uh-oh, what did I say? <laughs> How did I behave towards this person? This seems to me to be such an appropriate picture of what happened at that first Christmas. That God of very God entered our mess. He understands our experience because he is one of us. 
He blesses us with forgiveness of sin, a rich life in following him now and eternal life when we die. This is all based on, on faith in him, receiving the free gift that we can't buy, that we can't earn, that we can't deserve. So is God a promise-keeping God? Yes, yes he is. Not only did he keep his promise in the fact that Jesus arrived and was born at the first advent, but also with the fact that we can look forward to the fact that he is coming back. And the fact that God is a promise-keeping God that showed itself in the, the, the first advent of Jesus should guarantee for us or should encourage us that he will come back again. We'll throw this on the screen for you. Look in Romans chapter 21, verse three and four. It says, behold, the dwelling of God is with men, Emmanuel, God with us, and he shall tabernacle among them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them and be their God. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Nor shall there be mourning or crying or pain any longer, for the former things have passed away. Jesus' birth was the height of anticipation, far greater than little Prince George when he was born. And one day, George will be king. Jesus, though, is the king whose kingdom will never end. And his birth doesn't just concern one earthly kingdom. His birth concerns the entire world. His birth is good news for all people. His birth is celebrated by saints and even angelic choirs. It's good news of great joy for all people because he is the long-expected, long-promised Savior, the Lord, the Son of God. He was born of a virgin in humble estate. He is God with us. He is the forever King. May we be those who live out of the fact and speak out of the fact that that is true. May we not be those that hold this to ourselves, but that we would be like those first shepherds that spread the good news as it was told to them far and wide. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your great love for us. You indeed are the king, and Jesus, we are so thankful that that you arrived just as you were promised, and that because uh, God is a promise-keeping God, we can, can bank on the fact, we can be sure of the fact that you are coming back just like you said you would. I pray that you would help us to be bold and clear, just like those shepherds with the message of hope as it's been told to us, hope of Jesus. I pray that you would help us to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, that we would give him all glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, friends. You're loved.